if you're enjoying, I've said this often, if you're enjoying what God's doing in your heart through Bible Christian, invite somebody else into the same thing. If God is growing you, if God is uh, making you into a better disciple because of um, our weekend celebrations or because of uh, life groups, invite someone else um, that maybe could use the very same thing. Does that sound good? Everybody agree to that? Okay, that was weak. Can we agree to that? There we go. That's good. That's good. Uh, And also, if you're new, we've been in a series for the past couple of weeks called Anxious for Nothing. All right? Can we say Anxious for Nothing together? You ready? Go. And we've been talking through a letter uh, by a man named Paul in the book of Philippians chapter 4. And we've spent a lot of time there in really just one verse so far. Today we're going to add another verse onto it as we wrap up our series. But our goal has been really to look at anxiety through the lens of, of Scripture and what God tells us we're to do when we're dealing with anxiety. Because anxiety is something you really can't just run from. It's something that you're going to deal with probably at some level every day. It may not be major moments of anxiety, but you're going to deal with it at some level every single day. Um, If you've not come up against something big in your adult life yet, or maybe as a teenager, it's coming. Anxiety is a real part of the world that we live in, and we want to respond to it in the way uh, that that, that God tells us to in His Word. Uh, Now, we've we've put together some resources for you as well um, on the app. If you've not downloaded that app yet, um, you're missing out on some really great resources there that we put together. Uh, Some podcasts, some books uh, are on there. Uh, we've also got some, uh, some therapists and things in the area. If you need a professional to talk through some of the things uh, that you're dealing with with your anxiety about, uh, that's on the app. That's on the website. And we've also got a hard copy of it uh, out in our connection point as well. Um, the last thing I would say about resources before we jump all the way into the message is we actually have a group here that meets every week called CR. Okay, It's called Celebrate Recovery. And a lot of times we kind of have in the back of our minds, well, that's just for people that struggle with substance abuse. Um, and it is for that purpose. But the way they describe Celebrate Recovery is it's a safe place to process any hurt, habit, or hang-up. And so maybe it's anxiety that you've been really wrestling with for years and you've been trying to do it alone. You've not let anybody into that circle of your life. Uh, I would invite you to come and and, and join that CR group and check it out. We meet every single week, um, and it's a great way for you to be able to help process some of the pain, process uh, some anxiety and things like that that you're dealing with. And so I would just encourage you um, to take advantage um, of that resource as well. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll jump right into the message. God, we're grateful for the chance to open your word again. Uh, We're thankful for the power that lies in it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move freely in and out of every seat. God, I pray that uh, hearts would be changed and that we would leave today differently than when we came in. And uh, Lord, we'll give you the glory for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was an incredible day. Jesus, the Messiah, the one we had hoped for and prayed for for so many years, had finally come to us. And he was more than we could ever even imagine. He came and, 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 and actually a couple days ago he was teaching to a large crowd of people and thousands of people came to hear the words he had to say because he spoke with an authority unlike any of the other religious people that were on the scene. See, we had heard the Pharisees talk before and they had no authority with what they said. But when Jesus spoke, people listened and they hung on every single word. And a few days ago he was teaching and crowds came and thousands of people came and listened to what he had to say. And at the end of the day, Jesus told me and a couple of the other disciples to do something that was kind of crazy. He said, I want you to get into the boat with me, and I want us to sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee here in the night. Well, I'm an experienced fisherman, and so I know what happens on the Sea of Galilee in the night. I know how that storms come in very quickly and out of nowhere, and they can take a ship down in the middle of the night on the Sea of Galilee. But who was I to argue with the Messiah? So we got into the boat with him. And a few of the other disciples were in there uh, together with us. And as we get out into about this middle of the lake, 
no doubt a storm hits. And it was a terrible storm. It was one that was bringing water in from all sides, and we really thought we were going to sink. We thought we were going to die. So me and some of the other disciples, some other experienced fishermen, we, we knew how to handle situations like this normally. And so we started taking buckets and pitching the water that was coming in overboard to try to keep the, the boat upright. We started throwing things off that were on the deck of the ship to lighten the ships. So it would stay up. But at the end of, of all of that, at the end of all of our efforts, we realized we had no control of this situation. We needed help. We needed someone to do something because we couldn't do for ourselves what we needed to do. So we ran to Jesus. And you're not going to believe this. In the middle of this storm that we're in, we run to him and he's sleeping on a pillow in the bottom level of the boat. Can you believe that? Not worried about a thing. And so we run to him and I said, Jesus, don't you care? Hey, wake up. Don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care that we're going to perish? And you won't believe what he did next. He sits up out of a dead sleep and he looks out at the wind and the waves. And I'll never forget it. He says, peace be still. And in a moment, the wind, it stopped. In a moment, the waves stopped crashing. And we were no longer afraid. Jesus had taken the storm away with the very words of his mouth that he used to speak them into creation many years before. And I looked at one of the other disciples and I said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him. Now that's an incredible story, is it not? Amen? That's an incredibly true story from God's word. Absolutely it is. And we like stories like that, don't we? We like the stories where there's a dilemma, there's a problem, there's a storm. And in that one, I mean, the the disciples were going to die in that storm had they not run to Jesus. And they go to Jesus. Jesus is in the boat with them. They run to him. They wake him up. He sits up. I imagine he probably kind of propped up kind of like this, you know, because he doesn't need to get worked up about anything. He's Jesus. And he says, peace, be still. And the storm stops. End of the story. Happy ending. Roll the credits. We love when a story ends that way, don't we? And listen, God has the power with whatever you're facing today to do the very same thing, doesn't he? God has the power. Jesus has the authority and the power to to choose to remove the storm that you're facing when you ask him about it. He has the ability to remove you from the circumstances that you're facing. He has the ability to take the thing away that's causing you anxiety. Someone say amen. Because here's the reality. God is fully in control even when things seem out of our control. God is fully in control, even when things seem out of our control, because he's God. And you can take that truth to the bank. There's times when he's going to remove the storm. I was just talking with a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine out west this week. And his wife just came through an aggressive form of cancer. And it was a dark, dark season. But they they prayed and they sought God about it. They had other people around them praying for it. And she just came through. She went through chemo, had surgery, and she's now cancer free. And I was able to celebrate with him on the phone that God had removed that storm. And you might have experienced something like that in your life, or you might have a neighbor or a friend or family member that's gone through something similar where God showed up just like he did in the story with the disciples, and he just removed the storm, and we love it that way. And when we take our needs to God, he's a big, powerful, sovereign, loving God who's in control of everything. He can remove cancer when he wants to remove cancer and baffle doctors. Amen? He can, he can fix financial situations even when we've made a mess of it trying to fix it on our own. Amen? He can, he can write relationships that have been, that have been uh, awry for years. 
He can do what he wants to do. But here's what I want us to think about today. What happens when he doesn't? What happens when God chooses not to remove the storm that you're facing? You've sought him. You've prayed. You've asked. God, please heal me of this. God, please take the situation away. God, please fix this storm. And it's almost as if God says no. Or maybe it feels like he's saying nothing at all. You ever been there? See, here's what I want us to do as we, as we walk through this final message of our anxiety series. I, I want us to think very deeply about how we're going to process this as we walk out the doors today. Because here's what I know. If your life's anything like mine, there are times when God will show up and he'll fix it miraculously. But more often than not, he tends to try to fix me in the midst of whatever I'm wanting him to fix. You guys with me? See, rather than taking away what's on the outside that's causing the anxiety, he says, instead of that, Brian, I'm going to fix the anxiety that's in you. I'm going to fix what's going on in your soul before I fix what's going on on the outside. And it's so important because it's easy for us to naturally respond to God in a way that's not positive whenever he doesn't remove the storm, isn't it? I think two of the natural responses that we have whenever God chooses not to remove the scary situation or the storm is we question God. We say things maybe like what the disciples told him in the storm. Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care that we're about to perish? That's exactly what it says right out of the Gospels. And maybe you've even said the same thing. You've been praying and talking to God about this issue that you're facing, and it's scary and it's heavy, and I'm not arguing that part. But, but it's as if God hasn't even heard it, and he's not taking it away yet. And you say, God, do you even love me? Like, do you even care? I mean, I thought if I, if I prayed about this and I talked to you about it, I mean, you're big, you're powerful. Why haven't you fixed it yet? What's happening, God? You ever been there? I have. I'm there probably more often than I'd like to admit. I think the other thing we do naturally, our response to God, God not removing the storm, is we begin to question ourselves sometimes, don't we? Did, did I have enough faith? You know, I prayed and I asked God, but did I have enough faith? Like, did I say the right words? Did I do the right things? Uh, am I being faithful enough of my life to deserve God's faithfulness right now in this situation? And we can begin to question ourselves, which is kind of crazy at, at some level because Jesus himself said that we only need to have faith with the grain of a mustard seed, right? It was, never, uh, it was never the amount of our faith. It was the object of our faith that was going to do the changing in our lives. Amen? Right? And, but but we, can, we can question ourselves whenever God doesn't remove the storm. God, do you even love me? Self, have I done all that I can do? Have I had enough faith? And these are the questions that come to mind when the storm doesn't end and when it seems like our circumstances aren't changing. But why? You might ask, Pastor Brian, if God is so big and powerful, if God has the ability to fix the situation, why doesn't God just remove the storm and fix it every time? You've probably thought that yourself. I've thought it often. And this is so important. Don't miss this. Because what God wants for us is often different than what we want for ourselves. Isn't that true? See, we just want things to get comfortable again, don't we? We just want the pain to go away. We live in a culture where we do everything we can to, to isolate ourselves or insulate ourselves from any level of discomfort or pain or suffering, right? And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, right? But see, here's the thing. God is more concerned with us getting to know him better than he is about us going through suffering. And God also knows that when you go through suffering, what does it tend to do? 
it tends to fix our eyes and our focus back on him, just like we talked about last week. If you missed that message, go back and check it out. It's super, super important in this conversation about anxiety. And see, God is more concerned with drawing us in close to himself than with just fixing the situation and taking the pain away. God's goal for us is not to have a life with less suffering. It's for us to have a life with more of him. And God knows that we come to know him more intimately when we go through difficult times. Isn't that true? Think back over your life, maybe the last couple of years. No doubt you've gone through some hard things. I don't know what they are, but you do. And in the moment, if you had a button you could push that would have taken it away in an instant, you would have pushed it, and I would have pushed it too. But as you look back, you, you can think back now in hindsight. You can look in that rearview mirror and you can say, I see what God was doing. I see how God was growing my faith. I see how God was drawing me in closer to himself because that's the goal of this Christian walk anyway. Not that we just not have pain or not have suffering. In fact, Jesus even said, if they, if they persecuted me, what do you think they're going to do to you? He said, you're going to face difficulty. You're going to face suffering. And God's goal is often different for us than what our goal is for ourselves. And that's why he chooses to withhold his power maybe from fixing the external storm. And instead he goes inside of our hearts to do the fixing. Now what's great about it is he doesn't leave us hanging. I think it would be very cruel of God, if I can say it that way, for him to say, I'm not going to remove the storm and I'm not going to give you any help in the middle of it either. I'm not going to give you any encouragement in the middle of it either. But he didn't. Because here's the truth. When God doesn't bring external peace in the moment, he gives us internal peace for every moment. Think about that. When God chooses not to bring external peace and fix the storm in the moment, he always gives us internal peace for every moment. And this is what Paul is going to tell us about today. Because what's easy for us to do is to take the passage we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks and say, okay, so if I, if I pray and I'm thankful and I, and I rub the genie the right way, the genie will give me what I want and God will fix the situation. But I want us to look at what Paul actually promises by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Philippians chapter 4. Let's look there right now. You ready? Philippians chapter 4. Uh, let's start in verse 6, and we'll recap a little bit of what we talked about the last couple of weeks. Verse 6 in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about, what's the next word? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, with petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, remember? Thankfulness recenters our focus back on Jesus Christ. And anxiety and fearful times have a way of drawing our eyes back to Jesus if we'll allow them to. Right? And but look at what he promises here. This is a conditional thing here. If we will pray and take our request to God and we'll be grateful and thankful, this is the promise. Look at what he says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul doesn't promise, God doesn't promise us through our friend Paul that he's just going to take the storm away, does he? He doesn't promise that the circumstances are going to even change at all, does he? Think about the people Paul's writing to. The church in Philippi, they're still under persecution as he's writing this, right? Like, they're still in the middle of, of suffering at some level. They're potentially having their freedom taken away. Paul's still locked up in prison. Their circumstances didn't change. But what Paul says is that your heart and your minds can change if we'll take the prescription that he's given us. If we'll do what he's told us to do in taking our needs to God. And what he means is this. And I want us to talk about three aspects of this peace that we're promised today. Okay, The first one is this. 
What he means is you can have peace on the inside even when you can't on the outside. You can have peace on the inside even when you can't on the outside. You can have a peace that can't be taken away is what Paul's talking about. See, when we ask for help from God the Father with a heart of thankfulness, we're promised an internal peace that cannot be taken away by any outside force. Let me explain what I mean. He uses the phrase in there, the peace of God. Everybody say peace of God. Now, it's interesting the way he phrases it when he says peace of God because his audience there at the church in Philippi would have been very familiar with this kind of phrasing and this is the reason why. They, they lived in a, in a time, in a, in a period in the, in the Roman Empire that was called the Pax Romana. Everybody say Pax Romana. I'll give you a little history lesson today, okay? It was roughly 200 years of peace in Rome, okay? It didn't mean that there were never any squabbles or there were never any like small wars, but there was no civil war. It was an, it was, it was an era uh, that was constituted or defined by no civil wars and no major wars without the Roman Empire. It was a time of great prosperity because of the peace of war, much like in our country. When we're not at war, the economy tends to do better, right? This was the season they were in. Pax Romana, if you translate it literally, it means this, the peace of Rome. Right? So Paul's giving us a contrast here. He says, look, I'm offering you, you've experienced the peace of Rome, but I'm offering you the peace of God. And here's the difference. See, no doubt the people at the church at Philippi had experienced and enjoyed some of the fruits of the Pax Romana, right? But maybe before they came to know Jesus Christ, they were in with society there. They were enjoying some of the spoils of, of not having wars and things like that happening around them. They were enjoying some of the luxuries and the comforts of that. They would have known what the peace of something or the peace of Rome meant to them. But here's the difference. The peace of Rome can be taken away in an instant, can't it? See, the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, that could be taken away at any moment. All it would have taken was one guy to get some army together and come up and raise himself up against Rome. And the Pax Romana, that peace of Rome, that external peace could be taken away. And Paul says, no, 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 let me give you a contrast here. Not something on the outside, a peace that could be taken away, circumstantial peace that could be taken away. That's not what I'm offering you. That's not what God's offering you. He says, I will give you the very peace. Jesus will give us the very peace of God. Amen? See, the peace of God is not dependent on the economy. The peace of God is not dependent on whether the Taliban attacks America or not. The peace of God is not dependent on any outside force and Paul says, God wants to give you a peace that you can have on the inside, even when things might be going wrong on the outside. He wants to give you a peace in the midst of whatever you're anxious about that cannot be taken away. See, the Pax Romana was great. It was wonderful for the Roman Empire, but it could be taken away in an instant. In the peace of God, Paul says, it can't be taken away. Nobody can rob you of the peace of God. Everybody say amen. So no matter the circumstances, you can have peace on the inside even when you can't on the outside. Let's keep going. Number two, you can have a peace that only God possesses. You can have a peace that only God possesses. What's interesting about the peace that we're offered here in Philippians 4 is it's not just a generic peace. He didn't say a peace from God, like just a gift that he gave us. He said the peace of God, and there's a difference there. This is the very peace that God, the creator, the one who holds our universe together, this is the very peace that he is in and of himself. It's his very nature. It's his character. 
That's the peace that Paul offers us. When we take our needs to God in the midst of our anxiety with thankful hearts. God's very peace. Let me explain it to you like this. If you're like most people, you probably imagine what it'd be like to be somebody rich or famous at some point in your life, right? Maybe you are that person today. Come be my friend, okay? If you're rich, I don't care. But really, we've probably all done that. It's, it's kids, we do it all the time. We imagine what it would be like to be this certain movie star or this certain athlete. And oftentimes, whenever we're thinking through that, we play out in our head how they see life and how they view the world. You, you think, man, they've got lots of money. They've got lots of power. They've got lots of whatever. So they're carefree. They don't have anxieties. They don't have fears like normal people like you and I do. And there's something very enticing. There's something very uh, desirable about being a person like that that has no worries or anxieties or cares, right? But have you ever stopped and thought about how God views the world? God, when he looks at the world, he doesn't wring his hands in fear of what might happen. See, God doesn't look down and say, oh, Holy Spirit, what are we going to do if, if, if we get another terrorist attack in America? Like, what, what are we going to do? I, I don't know what we're going to do. God doesn't do that. God, what, what if there's another outbreak of that disease that goes around? Like, what, what are we going to, Jesus, what are we going to do? We need to call a huddle here. What are we going to do? He doesn't do that. See, he doesn't even look at your lives and think, oh, well, Fred's done it again. Oh, what are we going to do now? I don't, oh, I'm so anxious. He's made another bad decision. What are we going to do? God never once looks at any situation with any level of anxiety or fear because Scripture tells us that he knows the end from the beginning, that he exists in this eternal peace. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in this beautiful harmony of peace. And I've heard it said before, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Nothing ever takes him by surprise. Nothing ever worries him. Nothing ever makes him sweat. Nothing ever makes him wring his hands. And Paul says, you're not just getting a generic peace. He says, you're getting the very peace that the God of creation has in and of himself. Church, that's a great place to say amen. That's the peace that we get when we take our needs to God. And whether he removes a storm or a situation, or a circumstance, or not. He says, if you'll come to me the way I've prescribed, you can have the very peace of God. See, this is why, in part, Jesus was able to lay in the bottom of a boat on a pillow while there was a storm going on above. The story I told you a moment ago. The reason he was able to lay down there, he wasn't worried. He wasn't anxious. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And that very confidence and that very peace is offered to you and offered to me. And that's, that's an incredible, incredible thought. And so today, whatever you carried in with you, maybe you're having to deal with a, a really bad medical diagnosis that you got this week from the doctor, or you're expecting some test results this week, and you're scared, and you're afraid. Maybe it's a relationship thing with your spouse. Maybe it's something with one of your children or one of your extended family members. Maybe it's a, it's a financial situation that you came in here carrying, and you're afraid. Paul says... If you'll take your needs to God with a heart of thankfulness, you can have the peace that only God has. That's something you can't manufacture. That's not something you can fake. That's something supernatural, and it's offered to me, and it's offered to you. Amen? Let me give you one more. You, got, you guys got time for one more? I got the mic, so we're going to do one more. Okay, here we go. All right, number three. You can have peace that doesn't make sense. Look, look what Paul said in, in Philippians 4 again. Look at verse 7. He says, and the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the peace that Paul's been telling us about here is one that just doesn't make sense. He said it transcends human understanding. It doesn't make sense that as a Christian, even though things can be going awry around us, we can be in the middle of the storm of our life, it doesn't make sense that we can be facing that and that we can have peace and joy in our hearts, does it? Uh, John Calvin was a, was a famous theologian, and he, he said it like this. I've got to put it up on the screen for you. He said, nothing is more foreign to the human mind than to hope in the depths of despair, in the depths of poverty to see riches, and in the depths of weakness not to give way. See, the, the natural man, the natural mind, our natural inclination is not peace in the middle of things going wrong, is it? Our natural incl inclination is, is panic, if we're honest. Our natural response is a, is a panic and a fear and an anxiety that cripples us, like what we've been talking about. And everything in our world today says we should only be at peace when things are going well. And when things aren't going well, we should do everything we can to get them back to going well so we can feel well again. That, that, that's what we're told. And that's what rises up in us naturally. But God promises us a peace that transcends our understanding, even when things aren't good on the outside. The peace he gives goes above your natural limitations and my natural limitations or tendencies because it's a supernatural peace. See, it doesn't make sense. I, I've sat by families who have had children die. And it doesn't make sense that in a moment that is the hardest and heaviest for any parent losing a child, that they have peace. It doesn't make sense. I've watched people who are dying of cancer, who are in pain like you wouldn't believe, but they know Jesus Christ and they lean into that peace of God and they lay there with, a, with this peace and this glow about them. And it doesn't make sense. It's a supernatural peace. That's something you can't fake. That's something you can't manufacture. And you've probably experienced some of the same things. Let me give you an example from Scripture. You guys remember Stephen in the book of Acts? You guys Stephen? In the historical record written down in Acts, we're told, if you want to read it later, it's Acts 6 and 7. Stephen is preaching and doing ministry. And this guy, what the Bible says is that he was so full of the Holy Spirit that even when his uh, opposition, when, when some of these other religious guys that he was uh, preaching after, okay, or preaching to, that when they would come after him, that they couldn't surpass his knowledge. They couldn't overcome him because he was so filled with the power of the Spirit. And they got so mad, the only thing they could do was go, and they, they actually, it says that they got false witnesses together to lie about Stephen to get him in trouble. Okay? They went and they got these people. They said, we want you to say that he's blaspheming God and that he's saying uh, uh, things that are not true about Moses. And so they get these people together and they bring him to the Sanhedrin. And they bring these witnesses to the Sanhedrin. Remember, the Sanhedrin would have been like the Supreme Court of their day. And they, bring, they call Stephen in there. And they said, Stephen, are these things that they're saying about you true? And he just starts preaching to them. 
Like, go read it later. Go read it this afternoon. He just starts preaching to them. And we're talking about the story coming up next week, going cover to cover. Stephen just goes cover to cover on them right there in the moment. He starts with Abraham and goes all the way through all these prophets, all these Old Testament characters, all the way through Jesus. And he goes, you guys, you persecuted the prophets and killed them, and you even killed Jesus. And you still haven't repented. You need to change your hearts. And he let them have it. Spoke the truth. Scriptures tell us that they got so angry. It says they rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they stoned him to death. But what is so interesting about that story is that as they were stoning him, the scripture says in Acts 7 that he prayed and he, it says he, he looked up into heaven and he could see the heavens opened as he's being stoned, like just taking it. He says, Lord, receive my spirit. And he says, do not hold these men's sins against them. In the very act of being stoned and killed, it, it says that he had a glow, that his face glowed like an angel. That's, a, that's an unnatural peace, isn't it? That's a supernatural peace. And even in the moment of having your life taken from you wrongfully, and he was killed, that he had the perfect peace of God in his heart in the midst of that. See, that's a, that's a peace that doesn't make sense to people on the outside. That's a peace that's supernatural, that can only come from the God of peace giving us the peace of God. Amen? And Paul says, no matter what you're facing today, if you're in that waiting room and you're, you're saying, God, I need you to fix this storm, I need your help, if you'll cry out for help with a heart of thankfulness, he says, you can have a peace that transcends your human understanding and it'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So by way of application, let's review. What do we do if you're in the waiting room? What do you do if the storm hasn't passed? What do you do if God hasn't chosen to remove the circumstances yet? Let's review what Paul tells us to do. He says to ask, right? We ask for help. We take our needs to God. Last week we said, there are things that you've deprived yourself of because you've not asked God for them yet. There are some things in your life that God is not going to give you until you ask. And as Paul tells us here in this passage, that peace of God is one of those things that we get when we follow God's prescription for what we do in the midst of anxiety. We run to him. We ask him for help. The second thing we do is we thank we thank God for who he is and what he's done. This is that refocusing, taking our eyes off circumstances, taking our eyes off of our ability to control the situation and fixing our eyes and our focus on Jesus Christ. That's the centripetal force thing we talked about last week. And when we ask God for help and when we thank him for who he is and what he's done, it resets our focus. And then and only then can we rest in God's unimaginable peace. Amen. See, that's what God wants for you. The enemy wants nothing more. Satan wants nothing more for your life than for you to walk around wringing your hands, being useless for God's kingdom. That's what he wants. He wants your marriage to go through struggles because you're fearful and you're anxious. He wants your parenting relationship with your kids to be terrible. He wants that to tank because of your anxiety. He wants your job not to be as fulfilling as it could be because of your anxiety. He wants your finances to be filled with anxiety because he knows if he can get our eyes off of Jesus, 
and he can get our eyes on the circumstances and on the wind and on the waves, and he can make us anxious, he can cripple us from doing what God's called us to do and being what God's called us to be. Amen? That's what the enemy wants, but God wants better for you than that. Let me share one last story with you when we'll be done. Go ahead and close your Bible. I want to tell you another story about a boat Jesus was in. Horatio Spafford was a successful attorney in the city of Chicago back in the 1800s. He was a devoted Christian. He was an uh, elder at his church, actually, a, a very strong Christian man. And uh, he was a big investor there in a lot of real estate in the Chicago area, right around Lake Michigan. Well, in the great Chicago fire in 1871, Spafford, uh, he lost everything. All of his money burned up. His business burned up. All of his real estate investments burned up in this great Chicago fire. He had lost everything. And in an effort to bring some relief in the midst of that storm that he was facing, he decided to take a trip with his family to Europe. He planned this vacation for them to go over to Europe. And because of some obligations at home, he ended up having to hang back and send his wife, uh, Anna, and their four daughters ahead. And he was going to meet up with them later. So he sends his wife, Anna, and they had four daughters, ages roughly two to 11. Uh, He sent them on ahead on a ship. And the ship that he sent his family over in was in the middle of the Atlantic, and it was struck by another ship. And they say it sunk within about 15 minutes. Well, he didn't know anything, and he gets a, he gets a, a wire, he gets a message a few days later from his wife, Anna, that simply said, saved alone. Lost all four of his daughters in a shipwreck. Now think about where this man's heart and his mind would be. Put yourself in his shoes. Just lost everything from a financial perspective. Just lost all of his business, all these things he's worked for, his investments. Now he's lost his, his four precious daughters. And this is a faithful man of God. He wasn't running from God. He wasn't living in sin as far as we know. Imagine the questions he would have had in his mind at that time. But listen to what happens in the story. The story goes that he hops on the next ship headed for Europe to be with his wife to comfort her. And as they're sailing on this other ship across the Atlantic, the captain calls him up to the top deck and he says, he says, Horatio, this is the spot where, where your daughters perished. And if you can imagine the emotion in that moment, of what he was looking at, at his outlook on life as a whole. Everything had been taken except his wife. And this is what he does. He pulls out a piece of paper and a a pen, and he writes down the words to this famous song. Let me read them to you. When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say. How's it go? It is well, it is well with my soul. See, his life was turned upside down. His wealth had been taken away. His children had been taken away. But the peace in his soul could not be taken away. See, he's experiencing in that moment the unimaginable peace of God in his heart. It didn't make sense. It wasn't something he could fake. It wasn't something he could manufacture. 
He couldn't numb himself into that feeling. And I'll tell you this, even though it might not have seemed like it, Jesus was just as much in that boat with Horatio as he was in the boat with the disciples when he calmed the storm. See, in the disciples' story, he took the storm away. He calmed it. In Horatio Spafford's story, he calmed the storm in his heart. And that's what he wants for every single one of you today. Because you're going to walk out of here and a lot of you are going to continue to carry some of those storms that you brought in today. I pray God would remove them. I'm praying with you that God would remove them. But for many of you, he's not going to choose to do that yet. But he's not left you hanging. He's promised the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And let me just tell you, that's enough. Jesus is enough in the midst of whatever you're facing today. His peace is enough. The very peace of the character and nature of God is enough for whatever you carried in here today. Run to Him. Tell Him your needs. Ask Him for help. Thank Him for His goodness. Fix your eyes on Him in thankfulness and experience the supernatural peace of our one and only God. Because it's only when you experience that peace that you can really be anxious for nothing.